I think that everybody has to have a line. In exactly. The sand. That's what I was about to say is that but, everyone but should have be, a line in the sand. But let's be very clear. How you decide to act after that line has been crossed is relative. But the lines should be objective for everybody. You are listening to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. Join us as we explore the depths of theology, philosophy, and the Christian intellectual life. Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. I'm Daniel Roberts, your host with my wife, Lindsay Roberts, for a special segment called Wine and Wife, where I have wine with my wife, and we listen to her wine. I'm just kidding. We're not going to listen to her <laughs> wine. But the uh, wine and wife part is all about wine and my wife. And it's because Lindsay has a great affinity for wine o'clock culture. And so that's what, that's what you wanted me to lead with, right? That's, yeah, that's exactly so what I wanted to about talk about. tell me about your affinity for wine o'clock culture. Well. So, we could maybe call it an affinity for my hatred of wine o'clock culture. Would you like to know why I hate it so much? No, but I'm sure everybody else would. <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, that's true. I guess I don't need to say I mean, anything I the only else. thing missing from a wife who's complaining with a glass of wine is a diaper and a pacifier. <laughs> right? It's like Bill Burr. You have the easiest job in the world. <laughs> and you're just complaining about it all the time. You literally suckered a man into paying for everything that you do. Any job. And he gives what is you it? He wine. Says, any any it's job. It's the one job you can drink on the job yeah. and not get fired. And and what else is it that he says that you can wear PJs while you do your job? Yeah. Any job that you can do in your PJs is not that hard of a yeah. job. To be clear, being a mom is a hard job. But it's true. I am not digging wells out off of the Atlantic. So yeah. let's just keep it in perspective here. Also, your job hazard is pretty low. That is true. I don't think there's a lot of wives that die on the job. That's true. <laughs> no, but to be clear, I am not a big fan of wine o'clock culture because yeah. I feel like it is the epitome of treating motherhood like it is a burden, not a blessing. True. So I'm here to whine That's right. about wine o'clock culture. So what you're trying to say is women... Have it pretty good. They have children, which are a blessing. Oh, yeah. They have wine, which is a blessing. And yes. they have great love making from their husbands, which is a big <laughs> blessing. You know, <laughs> not every woman can have those things, but by golly, I'm sure blessed to have it all, aren't uh, I? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, so we're not actually going to talk about wine and sex, but uh, what we are talking about is uh, Live Not By Lies. And we just finished a book club tonight uh, with our church. And so we figured we would have a conversation together because Lindsay has actually done quite a bit of reading with Sheshla Miwosh. Um, he's a hard name to pronounce. And um, we just finished the introduction, chapters one and two, and uh, we figured we would, we would have a little, little dialogue about the different aspects of the book that we liked. So Lindsay, why don't you start us off? Well, I would say, first off, I have read the book before and I was really impacted by it, as I think most people have been who have read it. It's just so informative. Even as someone, I, I thought which, I was... Which book? Live Not By Lies? This or? is Sorry, yeah, this is Live Not By Lies. So, yeah, I've, I've read Live Not By Lies before. I'm almost done reading The Captive Mind, and that will be in our book club list in two months. So for anyone who's interested, 
stay tuned in another two months when mm-hmm. we'll do much more deep diving into Shejwa Miwosh, which for an American reading his name, it looks like Szezla Milosz. It's a very Look Polish up the book, name. The Captive Mind, and then record yourself trying to say the name and send it to us, and yeah. we'll play it on the show. Oh, yeah. We'd love to hear that. Yeah. But um, no, so I'm talking about Live Not by Lies right now. I had read that last year with a group of ladies, and I like to think of myself as being pretty up on politics and pre- being pretty well-versed on what's going on. And I remember when I first read Live Not by Lies, it was slow going for me, which I thought I was pretty, like I said, I thought I was pretty familiar with all of these concepts, and it was a slog to wrap my mind around the history that came behind communism, and the biggest thing that I struggled with was the pre-totalitarian culture chapter out of out Is that of what chapter we one or two. It's chapter two, and so he's talking about what was going on in Russia beforehand about the way that Marxism came into the country, the impact it had because of all of the people, like in the factories and things like that, they had been removed from their religious communities, from the villages, they had come into the cities, and they were impressionable because they were separated from their moral, their moral law-giving communities, their Mm -hmm. churches and things like that. One thing that I thought was interesting so he covers it in this book, talking about the history, about how similar the Russian culture was to what we're living through right now. And that was one area I was familiar with because a few years ago I read Anna Karenina. And I won't give any, I'll try not to give any spoilers on that book. It's been out for a while. That's true. It has been out for a if while. You, if you give a spoiler on <laughs> classics. <laughs> on a book that's over 150 The way, the way I deal with that old. is I just say, don't read the introduction to any of the modern publishings because yeah. they will give away the book, which yeah, has but, happened to me, and I was pretty frustrated with it, but then I realized it was my own fault yeah. because yep. it's yeah. been around for 200 To be years. fair, I had done the same thing with Anna Karenina, so I already knew the ending, yeah. but if you really don't want to read the book because it's long, there's a great movie from what I hear with Kira Knightley in it, so I'm sure that's a fine summary. Looks anyway, a little provocative, though. What's that? Looked a little provocative, the trailer. Well, the book is pretty provocative. Well, so what I was going to say is in Live Not By Lies, Roger talks about the what was happening culturally, the separation of people from their moral communities coming into the cities, doing factory work. They were being taken advantage of. But in the midst of that, he talks about the moral decay that was happening in the late 1800s in Russia. And I'm not well-versed in most Russian history, but I was familiar with this because the copy I read of Anna Karenina had a big introduction on Leo Tolstoy and his, basically his war against his own culture. So he believed in the role of mothers. He thought it was a valuable position to hold. He thought women should be caring for their children. They should be having families. So when Leo Tolstoy wrote... Anna Karenina, it was all a criticism of what was happening in society at the time. And so he was very harsh. Uh, The whole depiction is what happens to a woman who denies her natural roles and responsibilities, her natural role as a mother, as a caretaker of the home. Mm -hmm. And she basically breaks herself against 
against the reality of uh, of denying her feminine duty. Yeah, I think that you know, if I can mansplain for a little bit to the uh, to the women who might listen, which you know, maybe you won't after I say what I say, but the I think part of the problem is is that number one men have lost all of their moral authority in the culture. Mm-hmm. So the only people who can talk about this are women. Yep. Only women can tell women that they should stay at home, which may be outside of a religious context. But the reality is, is that in nature, across the board, women and men, gender-wise, like the, the male and the female species, have different roles because they have different biological parts. Mm-hmm. But even my liberal professors would say in uh, college that the stay-at-home mom was invaluable to the raising and moral nurturing of a child. And he would say that if you want your child to have the moral framework you have, then you should be the one to raise it, especially in the early stages. And it's no wonder that, you know, with the breakdown of the family, that has oftentimes been implied, encouraged by implication by the church. What do you mean? What I mean by that is the church won't out and out say, you know, it's better for women to, if they really want to fulfill their divine call in life as a mother, meaning you don't have to get married as a woman. There's nothing that says you have to. Mm -hmm. But if you are married and you do have children, to put everything you have into raising and nurturing children is a really meaningful mm-hmm. existence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the way that you carry on your family memory. Right. And, and the problem is, is that now so much of the two-income family household has made it so that what's actually happening is the elementary school is furthering the memory of them the elementary school teacher in your children because mm-hmm. they are giving them their moral framework, their ideas. They are literally sculpting your child in their image mm-hmm. because that is what parenting is. Yep. And to forsake that, the church has basically cowered in fear because any pastor who says, I think, and they can be really nice about it, they can say, hey, I just think that it might be better for you. You might, be, you might become a better woman because we can all agree that that mothers who mother well are better than CEOs. Just morally speaking, they're better for culture. They're better than a female CEO at the end of the day. You still need female CEOs if that's where they're gifted. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But society turns towards the good or towards the bad based on how families are being raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that is a real big responsibility. And if women don't have support in the home, then of course you can't expect them to not go into the workforce and find where they get support, where their businesses are literally paying for them to get abortions Mm -hmm. and stuff and saying, we love you and everything you do is so valuable. But you have all these churches who, A, won't necessarily, which I don't know if you can really caricature it this way, but, you know, at least the question can be asked, you know, how much do churches actually do a valuing of families who try to live a complementarian lifestyle where it's the husband is going and getting work 
and the wife is 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 taking care of the kids and they are a team they are passing the ball back and forth and so what you're saying is you feel like churches are not coming out full bore and encouraging that yeah traditional nuclear family yeah, when was lifestyle? the last time you heard a sermon that said you know where the where a woman would thrive the most in general yes is if she yeah. lives into the or the god ordained design of nurturing and having children and taking care of her family. Yeah. Like yes. you, I, I haven't heard a sermon like that since I was a kid. And and most pastors are terrified of doing it because they've bought into the modern Marxist idea that and that's why I say encouraged by implication. That that they're not saying it explicitly. They're also mm-hmm. not denouncing right. the the egalitarian idea. They're just quietly sitting there. And not saying anything on it. And they're letting Disney, they're letting big corporations and all this stuff tell the, 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 the father and the mother, this is your role in society. Well, and this is, and this is where it comes back to the wine o'clock culture where, you know, I like to think that we all are strong enough to ignore all of the t-shirts and all of the little, all of the little phrases and isms mm-hmm. that come into our purview. I mean, you know, I think about every time I walk into a grocery store and I see a line of mugs, how many times do I see a mug that says something encouraging about the role of motherhood and the role of the family? And how many times is it something that is negative, that is discouraging, that is insulting? There you go. We should put that insulting? on our mugs. What? Something wonderful about motherhood? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think it'd be great to say wine something. Wine and wives. Wine and wife mugs. Boom. Boom. We got it. Boom. Gang, stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're going to start having some mugs out there to tell the women in your life they're kicking ass. Yeah, and they don't need a glass of wine to drown out the misery of motherhood because their life is great. That's right. Even when it's hard, it's still a great privilege to be a mom, and we should be counting the blessing of being mothers and looking at it as a joy and a privilege, not Mm -hmm. as a drag. So there you go. Wine anyway, and wives. Here I am. But I think c- tying it back to the culture and to the into the the book into the church. Well, mostly, yeah, but mostly to the culture because not everybody's going to be in the church. Yeah, I see. The, what you're saying. the idea here is that at the end of the day, there is a natural design, and much of this, and what we talked about tonight at the book club too, is that people just don't know history, and and up until three years ago, I wouldn't have known anything about Russian history either. But when you start reading the Russians, there's a reason why they're so depressed. People will make fun of them. Even if you watch the, some of the old movies like Balto, there's a joke about the fact that one of the, one of the characters is, is like a Dostoevsky novel because he's so depressed. Well, the reason why they were so depressed was because they saw how bad human beings could get. Mm-hmm. And where it starts is in the day-to-day lives of human beings. And what our culture has adopted is that our individual decisions don't matter. Mm-hmm. What I do in my spare time for fun doesn't really matter. What I do, you know, at my job doesn't really matter. I'm just basically a meat puppet that's being kept alive through labor and through entertainment. Yeah. Well, and- it's it's like a YOLO life. And this is actually what comes up in chapter. I don't let me look and see if it was chapter one or two, but it's the therapeutic Right, culture. The, the Murdy Bing. So I actually am not talking about the pill of Murdy Bing so much. That That is part of it, but at the bottom of page 11, this is in chapter one, 
Ron Dreher talks about the triumph of the therapeutic written by a gentleman named Rife, Philip Rife. But he talks about how the West has created this new civilization devoted to liberating the individual to seek his own pleasures and to manage emergent anxieties. And so he said that the religious man who had lived according to belief in transcendent principles that ordered that ordered human life around communal purposes had given way to psychological man who believed that there was no transcendent order and that life's purpose was to find one's own way experimentally. Man no longer understood himself to be a pilgrim on a meaningful journey with others, but as a tourist who traveled through life according to his own self-designed itinerary with personal happiness, his ultimate goal. So you were saying just that you believe that there is this lack of consideration for any greater purpose and that your hobbies don't matter and these yeah. things. People don't understand that there's a causal connection between what they do as an individual and the collective good. And this is one of the things that the left has capitalized on is this fact. And it is morally wrong for someone not to recognize this. And so in some sense, what they're actually saying is true, that the apathy of the country has gotten so bad that there are pockets of society that are spiraling into chaos. And you guys have just ignored this because you're supposed to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of a thing. But at the same time, that's not what you should direct your individual lives and hobbies towards, which is why the left is starting to very quickly, in fact, I would say already is very much a religion mm -hmm. because you have all these things that religions do. They tell you, yep, the little thing you do for your religious practice does matter. The little amount of money you can give our church or our religious organization our does cause. make a difference, yeah, towards our cause. The little bit of time you can give or whatever. Because we are moving towards something bigger than ourselves. Yep. And that's what the left is currently doing. And what's happened is, is that the churches have not given anybody anything to aim at. They don't give people anything to aim at. So you've got people talking about the end times, which just breeds apathy. I, I know that there are people out there that love Dr. David Jeremiah. But at the end of the day, when I talk to those people, they are some of the most apathetic people. And they're some of the most fearful people about what is actually going on in the world. When you consider the fact that the churches aren't actually looking towards uh, what the world can be as a better place, and they're not encouraging people. When was the last time you heard a sermon that said, hey, you know what, maybe God wants you to start a small business? I mean, I haven't heard any of those. I have not heard a sermon. I will say, though, Props to Father Fillmore when he was on the podcast. He did talk about how mm -hmm. with some of these woke institutions. Yeah, we got to start our we, own. Yeah, he said he said some of us have to be willing to go out and become contractors, start private businesses yep. and things like that. So yeah, I know some that, people obviously know. Yeah, there are some. But how many are actually actively preaching that? Right. And, and I think that a lot of times they're just not because they they just don't want they are worried about the backlash that's going to come from mm -hmm. this prescriptive Christianity. Something yeah. that says, this is what you ought to do. Because they have implicitly adopted the postmodernist mantra that says, who are you to tell me? Well, you're a priest. You're a pastor. 
if there is somebody who has gone through the training to have the moral authority to tell somebody how they ought to live their life, it's a religiously ordained person. Mm -hmm. Because if they can't tell us how to live our lives, somebody else will. And we are seeing that happen, and it's the state. And it is not just something that's convenient for the pastors. It's a protection against the state coming in and wielding not just the sword, but the moral authority. And, and it acts as a buffer to make sure that the state doesn't go too far. Because if a, church, if, a, if a society actually can have an institution like the church tell it how it ought to live, then the state doesn't have to tell you how you ought to live. You don't need laws, for example, to tell people not to steal if no one is actually stealing. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, that's a utopian vision. Right. But the, but the point is, is that you have laws because you understand that people aren't good. Right. And that people will break rules and that they will pursue their own ends to whatever extent that they want. But at the end of the day, a, a church is supposed to be there to say, this is how you ought to live, which is why when a government passes an unjust law, it's oftentimes the churches that tell you not to obey it. Because they have the moral authority mm-hmm. at real risk to themselves, by the way, in the Christian tradition, that when pastors mislead congregants, that they will be held to a higher standard. And Jesus says, if one of you leads one of these little ones astray, it's better for that he should have a, a, a millstone wrapped around his neck and he should be thrown into the ocean. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about the moral authority of the church. Yeah. Well, and I think it comes back to the live not by lies that this is the apathy. And I think it comes back to the captive mind in the fact that community is really important, especially in Christian community. And online is not enough. Mm-hmm. So tell me from the captive mind that quote that you had on Shejwa Miwosh. Shejwa Miwosh. So this is all about the competition between communism and the church. And you and I have talked about this a lot, Daniel, that. The big issue, and I believe you had you had come up with this on your own, but then it was affirmed in the Black Book of Communism. Mm-hmm. But you had told me a long time ago that you believed the biggest reason communism competed with the church is because communism wants to be the source of truth, the yeah. ultimate source of truth. And then the church is coming in and saying, no, we have the source of truth, and it is God, it is our scriptures, and really any religious group that says they are the source Mm -hmm. of truth is going to be at odds with the communist party but this is this is in the close to the end of the book miwosh says in its own fashion the party too is a church the party being the communist party its dictatorship over the earth and its transformation of the human species depend on the success with which it can channel your rational human drives and use them to its own end No, logical arguments are not enough. Club, these are communist clubs he's referencing. Club ceremonies, poetry, novels, films are so important because they reach deeper into the stratum on which the emotional conflict rages. No other church can be tolerated. Christianity is public enemy number one. It fosters all the skepticism of the masses as to the radical transformation of mankind. If, as the gospel teaches, we must not do harm unto others, then perhaps we must not harm kulaks. 
if the highest glory does not belong to man, then perhaps worship of Lenin and Stalin is idolatry. Yeah. One of the things we brought up in what happens in chapter one or two of Love Not By Lies is the importance of actual community. Mm-hmm. That, that is the groundwork that Roger is bringing into the book at the beginning, is the idea that community is vital to withstanding what oftentimes is like a 30 or 40 year decade of darkness, or mm-hmm. 30 or 40 years, you know, multiple decades of darkness. And one of the things we talked about was the importance that people would leave and go and start their own groups. So one of the things you should be doing, if you are in a church, you see what's going on, you should be finding like-minded people and you should just be having them over for dinner. Mm -hmm. 100%. You should be talking to them, praying about what's going on. You should be talking about the concerns you have in the culture. And, and actually fostering what these communist groups like Miwosh actually discusses, where he says the communists actually wanted all this art and all these clubs and all these groups. Why? Because they want to make you in the image of the state. Yep. And what's happening now is, especially with all the Disney stuff, the Netflix stuff, if you think that they are just pumping out stuff for money, then I think that you're, you're, you're not reading between the lines. They are interested in forming more people who are, especially kids and young people, who are dedicated to their cause of reforming the, the governments in which these kids actually live. Mm-hmm. And these, these groups have millions of subscribers. And so what we have today, and again, when you're reading history, it's like Mark Twain says, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. So when it comes down to what they are talking about in Live Not By Lies, they will relive Not By Lies and they will downplay it. Yeah. And they downplay it because they say, well, it's not as bad as Nazi Germany. It's not as bad as the gulags. And if it was that bad, we all have these little cell phones and somebody would be taking a picture of it. The reality is, is that People do actually congregate based on ideology, which means good people tend to congregate with good people. Evil people tend to congregate with evil people. And at the end of the day, when it comes to January 6th or when it comes to whatever is going on in the world with the Uyghur Muslims, with North Korea, clearly the government has the ability to keep you from getting things out to the internet. Mm-hmm. If the FBI actually came to your house, like just think through this scenario for a second. If the FBI came to your house and took you prisoner and put you in an undisclosed location, how would you even know? How would anybody know mm-hmm. where you were or why you were there? Especially if the government says you did something, he did something illegal. We right. can't tell you what it is. It's not like they're not, you're not going to know who took them. We're not talking about disappearing people. We're talking about the fact that you don't have any idea what they're doing to that person. You have no idea how they're being treated. You have no idea where they are. Right. And that is totally doable. But even still, what did we learn about the fact that we do see photos of stuff happening in other countries, like in China, where they have the Uyghur Muslims being persecuted? 
You know what happens when somebody decides to take a stand for the Uyghur Muslims? He loses his MBA contract. Yeah. So when you're saying that the, the big companies are shutting down people who are actively using their platforms to expose totalitarianism and, and expose, genocide. And expose these content, like the, the propaganda and all of this content mm-hmm. and things like that, all these big content giants. Yeah. And they yeah. lose their job. Yeah. What, what do you think that somebody with the actual power to disappear somebody is going to do if an FBI agent suddenly decides that he's going to not go with the flow? Mm-hmm. Like this idea that you can say that people are just completely and totally inherently good while simultaneously going to a church and saying that people are totally depraved doesn't add up. Well, and this is something that you were talking earlier about the moral authority of the church. And this is actually, I'm going to pull from Jordan Peterson, who is not a professing Christian, but um, I think that this would be a great position for the church to hold. So you and I have talked about this privately before, but Jordan Peterson, in one of his lectures, he talked about the importance of individuals drawing their lines in the sand. And he talked about how just even in personal relationships, how quickly you can become a victim to an oppressor. Because let's say, for example, I have a boss, and that boss does something inappropriate. Why are you laughing? Because you're my boss? Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't my boss. That's right. (laughs) But no, let's say I had a boss, you know, back in the old country. And let's say that boss exercises some kind of authority over me that is inappropriate. And I do nothing about it. Well, now that person has one, has, is a rung above me in power. And I have, have forfeited my spot on, on the equal playing field. So the next time that this employer, boss, whoever exerts dominance again, I'm going to be even less likely to do anything about it because I'll be able to justify to myself, well, I didn't do anything the last time. So why would I do anything this time? I don't want to rock the boat or I don't want to lose my job over this. After all, I already did nothing before. And the reason I bring this up with regard to the church is not everyone is going to be able to draw, not everyone is going to be able to, and not everyone is called to draw the same lines in the sand. Is that, do you agree with that? Do you think that's fair to say that not everyone is going to have the exact same lines in the sand? I think that everybody has to have a line in the sand. Exactly. That's what I was about to say is that everyone should have a line in the sand. But let's be very clear. Pronouns and things like that, how you decide to say or how you decide to act after that line has been crossed is relative. Mm -hmm. But the lines should be objective for everybody. Mainly, you can't live in a lie. Your line should be, I'm not going to live in a lie. And and what I mean by that is not some accidental lie that's based on like uh, the cost of doing business, so to speak, where like businesses are going to make mistakes. They're not going to do everything perfectly. We're not talking about going and working for Jesus Incorporated. What we're, what we're saying is, is that the line in the sand should be generally speaking the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. But when that line gets crossed and you determine how you're going to act next, that will be different for everybody. Yes. So if your wife, for example, 
is very, very ill, and your company decides to go woke, and you know you can't continue to go along with this wokeness, but you also have to make sure your wife has the health care she has. You, I think, are justified to try and lay low at your job in looking for another job that does support your values. Uh, and again, because you've been activated to actually do something. Mm-hmm. Well, and and you can't come to that position where you say the line has been crossed. It's time for me to look for another job unless you have an objective line right. in the sand. Right. So, but for somebody else, it might be, I'm going to actually, you know, maybe you're single, maybe you're young, maybe you have a lot of life ahead of you. And so you say, you know what? I'm not going to stand for this. I'm going to, I'm going to find some friends at work who I know think the same way I do. We're going to go into HR together and say, we don't agree with this policy. Right. And maybe you lose your job, but you know what? At the end of the day, you lost it for, for a good thing. The Mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. And you will suffer in this life. This is one of the things that Jordan Peterson and Rod Dreher talk about when they discuss his book, Live Not By Lies. You are going to suffer. Like everybody's life is guaranteed to basically at some point become a living hell. And you want to make sure that you have habituated yourself to making sure that you have the truth when that hell comes. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a meaningful life is when you have the truth in your hand and you, you are strengthened by it and the, the fires of hell are burning around you and you know that you are, are stronger, because not because of yourself, but because you're, you're holding on to something greater than yourself, which is the Jesus, truth. Is and for Christians, that's Jesus Christ. Yep. So there's a couple things that I want to recap. Number one is when you read Live Not By Lies, you should really take note of the time frames of events. So on, I believe it's page six, Father Kolokovich, or Kolokovich, Father K, he is trying to set up these, these Christian underground small groups where they study the Bible, and they study art, and they study philosophy, and they study these things. They are not just studying the Bible. They are learning about the ways that communism works and functions and how they can survive. And a lot of churches will say, all you need is the Bible. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that the Bible is interpreted by your experiences. Yeah, so that makes me think of this quote from The Captive Mind also. It said, to forestall doubt, the party fights any tendency to delve into the depths of a human being, especially in literature and art. Right. And so one of the things that Christians need to understand is that each of them has been given a gift. Maybe they can paint, maybe they can write, maybe they can design things, maybe they can build applications, maybe they can build software. Whatever it is, you should be doing it. And you and the local Christian community that you're a part of should support it. Now, that's not really where we're at right now, so it's unrealistic to think that. But later on, and we don't have to read the quote, it talks about the fact that this just is part of taking the approach to thwart this communist move. Because if you decide to go out and venture alone, people will see what you're doing, and hopefully they will imitate, mm-hmm. and hopefully they will be better than you. And that's, that, is, that is the Christian message in terms of the intellectual life, is that we actually go and we actually do it in community. 
We actually encourage each other in our skills. Mm-hmm. And we actually go and live it out in the world and make beautiful things. Yep. And and have a life of purpose and meaning. Not one that's that's completely and totally fake and, and false in the digital world, in the meta, like Zuckerberg wants to do. Like nobody's gonna give a crap about the fact that you have a yacht in a in a computer. And <laughs> if you can't take the real yacht to heaven, you definitely can't take the digital yacht to heaven. So, you know, the the thing the second thing that we talked about though in uh, the book club, we talked about the importance of community, and that has to be something that churches start fostering. The second thing we talked about, though, was the time frames. Father K is taken into prison two years after trying to set up these groups, and then he's gone for 40 years. He's just gone. And his little groups take over the church in the area, and they eventually have a protest that leads to the demise of communism in their country. But it took 40 years. Mm-hmm. And anybody who is sitting here completely and totally panicked about what is going to happen and waiting for a watershed moment and constantly saying that the sky is falling does not have a realistic outlook on life. At the same time, anyone who's apathetic and interprets any sort of bad news as somebody who's claiming that the sky is falling is also equally irrational. There is no doubt that if you read just one Russian book, you could be Gulag, it could be Dostoevsky's novels, it could be any of those. You read anything, or Anna Karenina, you can read any of them. The culture is where the city is falling apart. And our culture very much mimics a lot of the culture in Russia mm-hmm. and these communist countries. And that should terrify everybody. Yep. When you realize the moment that a transgender person is hired into your organization, and all of a sudden the group thing happens overnight. That is not normal. It's not normal for people to, to overnight suddenly begin conforming to a lie. That is absolutely bizarre. Yep. And it's, it's a sign that a society is dying and that people have nothing to live for. Because if you have nothing to live for, then you're going to live for whatever is going to keep you safe even yeah. if it's a lie. Well, and this is, so this is one final thought going back to the drawing lines in the sand. Um, Cause you said, if you have nothing to live for, then, then you'll live for anything. And similarly, I think there's a problem in Christendom where they say, well, I'll draw the line. It's just the line is right up until the point of having to deny Jesus. Yeah. So I can, I can go along with, literally any kind mm-hmm. of lie, any kind of, of anti-Christian, anti-biblical teaching, yep. I can affirm it all as long as I don't have to say Jesus yep. isn't Lord. Yep. And, and, and again, this is just, this is ripe for what, what Roger talks about with Ketman, the idea that you go with the flow, but inside you really think that you're, you're not changing mm-hmm. but he has a really concerning quote at the end of that chapter where he says the de- that that the communist survivors came up with i believe that on ketman that the devil sees the person living out the way that they, the the that the Perfect. citizen I, the citizen believes that they have he's swindling the that devil he's swindling the devil but in actuality, the devil sees his mind and is satisfied. Yep. And, and because at the end of the day, if you are doing these things, you are believing these things. Yep. And to say otherwise just means that you're an Orwellian double thinker. You are living a life of contradiction. And you are living a life of apathy. And, and 
one of the things, and again, that doesn't mean you need to do something drastic, like go out and just quit your job. But if you're sitting here on the sidelines just complaining about anybody complaining about what's going on, you're part of the problem. You are just part of the problem. And that's not me saying that. That's not even the Bible saying that. That is the hundred of million people who are lost to communism and those who survived them who tell everybody that you are part of the problem. And if yep. they don't have the authority to tell you you're part of the problem, then who does? Yeah. So the third thing that we talked about was habituation and how you have to practice with little truths. You might be too weak right now to take a stand at your work on pronouns or whatever. But start with something small. Start with a truth that you know that you can stand for. Maybe it's when somebody makes fun of Jesus. If you love Jesus, maybe you can say, hey, you know what? That offends me. I'd appreciate it if you, if, you, if you didn't make fun of Jesus. I'm a Christian. That might be an easy one for some, hard for others. Mm-hmm. Pronoun one might be easier for some, hard for others. You should reflect on what truths you can take a stand for. Maybe it's having an honest conversation with your waitress at a restaurant about what you think politically. But it doesn't have to be something where it's a suicide run in your career, and you just end it because you decided that you were going to just fall apart. This is one of the things Father Fillmore and I talked about, is that we've got to be wise. You don't need to go and put yourself out there, because let's be very, very clear. People who disagree with Christians on the nature of men and women, men and women, what it means to be a Christian, the uh, gay marriage, any of that kind of stuff, they would love nothing more for you to lose your middle management position or your senior management position in their company because you decided to just leave. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that you go with the flow, though. Yep. And at the end of the day, we have to be willing to start pumping the, 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 the dumbbells of truth, basically, and starting to build our truth muscles. Because we can't just think that, you know what? I'm just going to wait until they put a, you know, till, till it gets really, really, really bad and they're, they're threatening to take me to jail. That's when I'm going to take my stand. That's not how it's going to work because the, the little steps that you take right now are going to make you into a different person when you get there. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand that the truth is like a chisel and so is a lie. And they have a different sculpture that they create in you when you decide to live according to the lie or according to the truth. And this is why Aristotle's theory of habituation is really important to Christians is because when you habituate yourself to the truth as a Christian, it becomes part of you in the way that when you drive your car, you don't have to think about how to drive your car. And it becomes, but that doesn't mean that you're a perfect driver either, right. but it's habituated. You are a driver. You know how to turn that power on and you know how to turn it off. Yep. And when you have it active, you're not actively thinking about how to drive. Right. You, you have. Mm-hmm. Right. You have developed the senses yep. to, to know when to pivot, when not to yep. pivot, what to do. Yeah. And so yep. one of the practical exercises we gave the group tonight was that you should journal. After you read certain chapters in the book, like this one, or whatever book you're reading, maybe you're reading something else by the Russians or whatever, take five minutes and write down what you learned for yourself. Not because you think someone else is going to read it, because at the end of the day, hardly anybody's going to read it. And even if anybody, and really nobody's going to read it, 
your journals are basically going to be thrown to the dustbin of history. So what's the point of writing in them? It's because you are writing to yourself. You are learning what you really believe. And you should write in your journal that way about the books that you're reading and the ideas you're entertaining. And you should try and figure out why your journal should basically be a mirror of what you actually believe and why. Mm -hmm. You should be arguing with yourself about why you believe what you believe. Because then you've formed a habit of looking for the truth, not just in the world, but in you. And then when the time comes, when that line in the sand gets crossed, and you have to actually take your stand, it'll be like driving a car. Yep. Might end up in a car accident, might kind of suck, but it's not going to be something that you, you had to really think hard about whether or not it was worth it. Yep. And so that was the, that was the last thing. And so I think that the book's great. We're going to be doing chapters two. Chapters and three and four. Three and four. Next week. Chapters three and four next week. So, and then we'll probably do another wine and wife. Wine, wine and wife. Wine and wife. Wine and wife. Wine and wife. <laughs> it's kind of a, a double meaning there. It is. Yeah, because you whine a lot. But we also have wine with us <laughs> to kind of take the edge off your whining. <laughs> but if you don't like that name and you think of a better one, you can message us on our various social media channels, Telegram, Truth Social, but to be Twitter. Clear, to be clear, though, even if you send us a different name, it's not going to stop me from whining. So it's true. That's still going to happen. Sorry. That's right. Or us having a glass of wine while that we have too, this conversation. That too, yeah. If you call it beer and wife, I'm not going to drink yeah. beer. Yeah. What about beer battered wife? Ooh, that's a... <laughs> that might not be a good joke. That one might make some people mad. <laughs> oh, All right. This has been Wine and Wife with Daniel Roberts and Lindsay Roberts with Solomon's Corner, a place for thinkers. Thanks for listening. And remember, keep thinking. history it's like what woody allen says you know it's not that history repeats itself but sometimes it rhymes the biggest mistake that people have you ever heard that quote i didn't know woody allen said that yeah i'm pretty sure woody allen said that that's crazy google it